Welcome to the Horns of Light Chronicles. Peter Berbalis chronicles his family story, prophecy, and testimony. God's story unfolds. From his grandfather in Lithuania, Nazi Germany, the Russian Revolution, to Ronald Reagan and the fall of the Berlin Wall, the gospel spreading across to Eastern Europe, how God called Peter to Petra Jordan, and so much more as prophecy and testimonies unfold. And now the Horns of Light Chronicles. Horns of Light, I'm so excited to hear the continuation of this story. And so without much further ado, here's Peter Berbalis. Uh, when we left our hero, you, your grandfather had gone into Germany and, and there was a mess, right? Yeah, basically where we kind of left off last time was uh, he had been conscripted uh, to dig ditches at the front lines of, uh, of the German front with Russia. And my grandfather, he had to leave behind at the train yard, um, kind of taken suddenly to do this work. And, uh, and he had uh, one morning woken up and everybody, had, uh, all the Nazi soldiers were gone and uh, didn't really know what to do. So a lot of um, the workers that were doing the ditch digging left. And then the Nazis came back after they realized that the Russians hadn't broken through uh, the lines, the very front lines. And um, a guy held a gun to my grandfather's head, a young man, uh, accusing him of letting everybody go. And uh, fortunately, by the grace of God, some older people uh, stepped in, some older, older soldiers, and said, you know, there's no way he could have done this and uh and they um the lord spared his life uh so to kind of um continue on from that point uh that same situation developed one more time as kind of god speaks oftentimes through patterns in our lives and uh again he woke up um one morning and all the soldiers were gone and it was just the workers and this time he realized that uh he had to leave so knowing that his family was in the, uh, was out at the railroad yard, he found some railroad tracks and just started walking. Um, unfortunately, little did he know that at the time that he was walking right into the front lines and into the Russian front. Um, so as he was walking, a uh, Russian uh, soldier starts, shouts out to him and starts speaking in Russian and uh my grandfather uh, spoke many languages, and he was able to answer him back in Russian. And then the Russian soldier, uh, as they continued the conversation, he said, you're very fortunate. We were given orders to uh, shoot first and ask questions later. Um, if I was obeying orders, I would have killed you. And, uh, and so basically then he pointed my grandfather, a Russian soldier, which is kind of a miracle in itself, points my grandfather back uh, in the opposite direction and tells him that's where, uh, you know, that's, that's the direction he should be going towards if he's trying to get back to his family in Germany. So basically he makes it back. Uh, he had told my grandmother to go to the manager of that uh, train yard, which was a friend that he had known from, I guess, school when he was in Germany, an acquaintance. And so uh, he reunited with my grandmother um, with his wife and uh, three children and then uh, from my memory he talked to that uh, individual and just um, kind of encouraged him to leave with them because uh, to everybody at that point in time the promised land was the um, at, uh, was the American um, quadrant 
the war had kind of come was coming to a close. Maybe it had come fully to a close at this point. And the big rush was the Russians were coming, and you did not want to be stuck in Russian-occupied territory of Germany. You wanted to be on the American side. So the American uh, area was a promised land that uh, they were going to leave from this house and try and get to, and they try and uh, convince this man uh, to come with. And he didn't because he had a farm and everything there. His whole life was there. So he decided to stay, and uh, little did he know that kind of that grasping on uh, to things um, and holding on to things would cost him dearly as that became uh, part of uh, East Germany. So he had to go uh, from that point and um, in the end basically live under uh, Russian occupation until the fall of the Berlin Wall. So my grandfather, he did set my grandfather up with a cart because my father had uh, TB at this time and he couldn't walk. So they had to kind of cart my grandfather or cart my dad, uh, my dad and his brothers and my grandmother and grandfather to try and make it to the American uh, occupied part of Germany. And as they're going, I mean, bridges are blown up. Uh, they have to barter um, uh, with uh, silverware that they have to get a guy who's manning a raft to get him over one river and other uh, bridges, you know, they're told the bridge is going to blow at any moment. Uh, so they're rushing to get across. And there's just kind of this, I don't know, Lord of the Rings type of picture of them trying to make it into, uh, into American territory. And they do, uh, God um, graciously uh, grants them that passage and they're able to uh, make it into um, American occupied uh, Germany, and um, in that area, they're put in a displaced uh, persons camp. Uh, my dad has tuberculosis uh, really bad at this point, and he is uh, sent off to a German hospital where he's put in a body cast and has to um, just kind of live in that body cast away from the family in this hospital for a year, and back then, they believed uh, very much in um, getting healthy meant living outdoors, so he'd basically be in a cot uh, in the cold winter of Germany with blankets, and that was kind of his life. Um, as uh, my grandfather, I kind of sent a picture there of, um, of one of the, basically what, at these displaced persons camps in one of these small buildings that was a kind of military barrack kind of thing. Uh, three families would be in there separated by a cloth uh, that was kind of their wall. So my grandfather at this point is kind of trying to figure out uh, what to do. So uh, with my uh, dad having tuberculosis, he cannot get entry into America. Um, he runs into uh, uh, one of the bureaucratic people granting that occupation and he wants a bribe for my grandfather. And my grandfather being a minister refuses to give that uh, bribe. Um, so basically, he has to rethink plans. And my dad kind of describes this time as going from uh, kind of uh, hell to heaven. Uh, my grandfather, through his connections um, in the church, uh, in the Methodist church, uh, one of the um, higher ups uh, just says, you know, there's this reunification act that's going on in America. Um, if you go and you're there for a year uh, and you give your son a chance to heal up um, and, and let your wife stay with him, then you guys will likely be able to uh, reunify uh, back in the United States. Um, so my grandfather sees that as a, as, a, as a solid plan. So he leaves 
to the United States with uh, his two sons, and he sends my um, grandmother to the Alps of Switzerland, and my dad describes it as just they go to, they're basically given a place to stay at this beautiful resort. So from kind of leaving the depths of war and, and all the ruin of that, uh, they're, they're in this beautiful place up in the Swiss Alps, and that's where uh, he spends his year recovering. Um, and through that reunification act, um, my grandfather then sends for both of them uh, to come to the United States, and that's kind of a story in and of itself. Um, they arrive in the United States, and they're put immediately into Ellis Island uh, as their paperwork is processed. Um, because of my dad's uh, formerly having tuberculosis, they put him into a cell, um, and they were going to separate him from my grandmother because they wanted the uh, you know men in one and women in the other. So. My grandmother just, uh, you know, just pleads with them, and they allow my dad to stay with my grandmother, and it's kind of in the cell in Ellis Island, and my dad remembers kind of crawling uh, up to look out uh, the window through the bars, and he sees the Statue of, uh, of Liberty, um, and so that was just a powerful moment for him uh, to, see, to see that. Um, so in the midst of this, my grandmother... Um, notices that they're just in there way too long. I forget if it was a few weeks and uh, she just kind of feels like something's wrong. So she just tells my dad to pretend that he's sick and so uh, and to just start crying. So he just pretends that he's really sick and he's just crying and crying and the guards and uh, basically get them to the doctor and then at the doctor, they realized that their paperwork was misplaced and they weren't really even accounted for in the system. Uh, so then they're able to reunify with my grandfather in Boston. And uh, my grandfather, new to the country, he valued education very much. And he decided to go on a search um, through, the, uh, through the United States and just kind of try and find out where a good place to stay would be in, as far as jobs and uh, education, system, higher education systems and stuff like that. And so he chooses uh, Chicago, which at that time had had several universities in the city. And that's where uh, he decides to go and, um, and raise his family at that point. Uh, he's working at a, uh, at a, uh, as a union baker in a bread factory kind of a Thing. And um, and basically, he's kind of struggling. He's also a pastor of the church. Kind of a um, another parallel here to our meeting is uh, he uh, is able to rent rent, uh, rent some space at Raymond Chapel Baptist Church in uh, Chicago, and uh, that's where he's able to minister to a Lithuanian congregation. He was offered a, another an American congregation um, by the bishop. Uh, but he, his heart was really still for Lithuanian Lithuanians, so uh, he pastored a small congregation while he was working full time, and just did a lot of help as far as trying to get them. Uh, what what happened during this time is uh, reparations started um, beginning to take place. So uh, Germany was having to uh, pay um, people whose property was uh, stolen or confiscated. Um, and so uh, he would help people process uh, the paperwork to, to get their uh, checks from the German government as a result of the atrocities that were committed to their families. Um, 
So that was kind of uh, his time. He's pastoring this church, um, and he kind of goes through a bit of a kind of a what's the purpose of life situation as a result of uh, the call that the Lord had, had on his life. He was never really um, allowed, I guess, to to stray too far. Um, so he uh, was just one day uh, kind of uh, saying to God, God, what's the purpose of my life? I'm working as a baker in a bread factory and just kind of uh, having that conversation with the Lord. Um, and that same day, my grandmother, uh, my dad is driving my grandmother and they get in an accident and she flies through the windshield head first. And then my uh, grandfather goes to see her in the hospital and he's hit by a bus and uh, he's hospitalized. And uh, as he's sitting there in the hospital, um, kind of Lord speaks to him and says, if, uh, if I didn't have plans and purposes uh, for, for your life still to be fulfilled, um, then your life would be over. Uh, and he just kind of told him that he still had plans and purposes um, that he had for uh, him to fulfill. So from that point, we go into um, kind of that 1960s uh, to 1980s period of his life. Uh, the Lord just starts putting a burden and uh, kind of what's going on in Lithuania, uh, Russian-occupied, um, you know, Cold War, uh, that whole situation is going on in, in the world and just uh, very little communication with the Western world. So in the 1960s and 80s, the Lord really puts on his heart um, that he's to work on getting the Bible translated because in Lithuania they um, didn't really have one Bible translation that translated many books, um, many books but not all into, into one complete Bible. So he starts working on that. He uh, decides to raise funds um, and try and get a, a kind of a Christian guy that he had known who was going to an Ivy League school and just uh, very, very brilliant when it came to uh, the um, original biblical languages. So he starts raising support for him uh, to live five years completely without having to do anything but work on, on translating the Bible. Um, five years goes by. He raised, you know, he's raises money for this guy to just kind of live five years goes by, no Bible. Uh, so he, you know, raises for another five years, 10 years goes by, no Bible. And he kind of comes to the conclusion that the guy has just kind of taken the money and run kind of a deal. So he starts to feel incredibly betrayed, um, by the situation. And, uh, and during this time, he's also kind of working on, uh, my grandfather's working on Bible commentaries, and he had a letter that he'd send to Lithuania, um, a kind of evangelism letter that he'd send to the church, uh, to the Christian church there, the underground church. And as he was sending these letters uh, and these kind of monthly, I don't know if it was monthly, but these periodicals that he would uh, write up, um, the U.S. postmaster came to his house and said, "You can't, you can't be sending this type of information into Lithuania. Uh, it's creating problems with the Russian government, so you need to stop sending this." Uh, oh, wow! I hate to this type of stuff. 
I hate to jump in here, Pete, but again, we've run out of time for this particular episode, so I know you're all sitting on the edge of your seat like I am. Like, what happened with this Bible translation, and and, and how is God going to use that? We're going to find out more about that on the next episode of Horns of Light. Thanks again, Pete. Thank you.